Alright, tonight we're going to continue our study in the Gospel according to John. Last week I taught John 4, 27-30, and that was by way of a review of our doctrine of witnessing. And then when the clock told 8.30 or so, I was about to begin John 4, 31-38, where we're going to talk about the Lord and how concerned the disciples were because... Jesus hadn't eaten anything. And he's going to talk about that. So let's go ahead and use 1 John, 1 John 1 9 as may or may not be necessary. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study where your word. We certainly know the importance of it and the fact that you have told us that this is a, a way to solve our problems down here on earth when enough folks get together and decide that they're going to study the Word. Let us do our part, recognizing that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness in order that the man of God might be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, let's see what we have here in the way of John chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. In the KJV it says, In the mean, in other words, meanwhile, His disciples prayed Him, urged Him, saying, Master, eat! But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought you aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat, which is brosis by the way in the Greek, can be used for food and very often is, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not to ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. So he's telling them, you know, that you're here here to do some harvesting of things that other people have done. And there have been many, many people, I'm sure, who had gone on before. We're going to look, for example, at all the information in the Old Testament and the various festivals and feast days and how all that is sowing just as Moses sowed and Abraham sowed and Isaac and Jacob and you know Malachi, etc. And uh, then you get to reap. And it's the same true today. It's one of those things that... Uh, happens people tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and then you may get to do some reaping and it doesn't matter whether you're a reaper or a sower you do your job you get after it 
And that is, in the main, just being ready to give an answer to anybody who asks you anything concerning the hope that is in you concerning Christ Jesus. So let's just skip the NIV and go right straight to introduction on page 2. Alright, the disciples pressed Jesus to take food. They were worried about Him. He hadn't eaten. But He declined on the ground that He had nourishment of which they were ignorant. So I think the best way to study these verses is to see how bread or food is used in Scripture, at least in part. We'll not make an exhaustive study about that, but enough so that we can understand what John is talking about. So let's start with an overview and how it is used both in the Old and then the New Testaments. We'll first look at the doctrine of feast, primarily the first four. And then we will explore the events of a feeding of the 5,000 by Jesus and described by John in his gospel. In John chapter 6, verses 1 through verse 15. So here we go. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that is also called the Sea of Tiberias, named after the city of Tiberias named after one of the early Roman leaders. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples up there on the north, uh, I guess it would be the eastern shore around Bethsaida. And it was the Jewish Passover, and that was near. So when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. In other words, had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, Eight months' wages... Wow. In other words, you work eight months for a given wage. That's not enough to buy for each to have a bite. So there must have been a huge crowd coming. Because Jesus had been doing a lot of miracles. He had been reaping a lot. And uh, people wanted to follow Him. So they followed Him when they found out this guy Jesus is going up the mountainside there north of the Sea of Galilee, northeast. And uh, let's go see what he's going to do. So another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. Small fish. But how far will that go to feed so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. In other words, calm down, people. Sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down and there was about 5,000 of them, 5,000 men, so we can't really say it was the feeding of the 5,000. It was more than that. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, 
He said to His disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So they were supposed to gather up everything, put it in a box, seal it up, and carry it with them, but they didn't do that, and that's why they all got worried when they were in the boat. And they said, what's he talking about? Is he mad at us because we didn't bring all the food and bring it with us? But that's another story. So bread, meat, and food are used often in Scripture both literally, uh, food to nourish the physical body, and then it's often used metaphorically for spiritual food to nourish the soul. For example, bread can be found more than 300 times in the Bible. And I did a fair, fairly amount of research there. I'm not going to say it's exactly 300, but... The way I did it, I, I'm certainly very, very close. And of that 300, it appears 75 times in the New Testament. So 300 times in Scripture, and 75 of those 300 are in the New Testament. So let's begin with a review of the doctrine of the feast. And as I said, the first four and then we'll mention the others as needed. So let's take, first of all, the unleavened bread. When we say feast, now we're talking about the festivals. These are things that were given to us by Moses primarily to let them people know there's a lesson here. So there were training aids, if you will. So the Feast of the Unleavened Bread can better be understood when studied in the context again of those first four feasts. The Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the First Fruits, and the Feast of Pentecost. They all had a meaning. Uh, one of the ones that we'll be talking about soon in the 11 o'clock hour because the Feast of Tabernacles was to represent living on earth with Jesus in the millennium and then later on in eternity future. And that's why one of the things the Jews do, they make their little, well, they make a very temporary little home, you know. They used to put two, four poles in the ground and put something over the top and then they put uh, leaves, branches and stuff over the top. And uh, it was to signify we're going to live with him someday. So it's to teach the millennium. That's feast of the uh, of the tabernacles. Tabernacle meaning living quarters. All right, the Passover. That's that biggie. It was held on the 14th day of April to celebrate the passing over of the death angel in approximately 1440 BC, and to commemorate Israel's release from Egypt. So it's uh, April, but it could be that March or April. 
because they used the Jews used the lunar calendar. But April is generally accepted. All right, scriptures relating to the Passover are, first of all, beginning in the book of Exodus, chapter 12. We've got quite a lengthy number of scriptures here, but it's a very important feast. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month. The first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small, too small, excuse me, for a whole lamb, then they're going to share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. So you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. So the animals you choose must be year old males without defect and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. So they're going to take them into their home until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So you can imagine how some of the kids felt and some of the family members when they would bring this little lamb in there and the kids would play with the little lamb and name him or her and uh, then they were told to kill him so it was a, in some cases I'm sure a very trying situation but it's what you do because God said do it so then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast so they had a they had a meal which probably wasn't very appetizing but nonetheless it was done to signify various teachings for example do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water but roasted over the fire head legs and inner parts do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloaks tucked under your belt, because you're going to get out of here. Because if you put the blood on the doorpost, then your firstborn are not going to die. But if you don't, the firstborn's going to die. I'm going to come through and kill him. In other words, that new baby that you just had, you didn't do what I said, so I killed a baby. And, uh, of course, that means that many an Egyptian baby died. So God's going to do this for not only to get the attention of Israel, but to get the attention of the Egyptians. Because these people are leaving. In other words, do you get it? Well, now you'll get it when you wake up and you find your baby died. All right, uh, this is how you are to eat it, as you know. And so it's your tuck your shirt because you're going to get up and move. You're going to move toward toward the promised land. And you you remember the story there, how they rejected the promised land, and they got disciplined. But this is the Lord's Passover. 
So on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you in the house where you are. And when I see the blood, now what does the blood represent? The death of Christ. The spiritual death of Christ. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So Egypt's got to learn a lesson. Israel's got to learn a lesson. And we have to learn a lesson. Now let's take a look at the New Testament. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them and they made ready the Passover. Now we're talking about the Passover before the Lord goes up the mountain. And there He'll be captured, you'll remember, and the process of the resurrection will take place in the process of the the uh, death on the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the life, and so forth. Now when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful. And began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. Again, a reference to you-know-who. Old Judas Iscariot. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man whom by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He had, he said unto him, Thou hast said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And then he said, Take eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them. Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now let's see how John records the events described as we have just read. In the book of Matthew, John chapter 13. We have certainly been over these scriptures before, taught them before, but let's go ahead and do it again. Now it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. Now this is going to be a story that we've covered before which has very significant meaning to us in the age of the church as it did to the disciples, but only later when they understood what He was talking about. Now let's start off in verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash. The word for wash there is nipto. 
in the Greek, and it means to wash your hands or your feet, not to take a bath. So he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It says several messages, not the least of which is going to teach rebound, and it's going to teach salvation first, then rebound. Then it's also going to teach how you to be a person who loves the brethren, humility, taking care of the brethren, humility. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash Nipto, his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash Nipto, my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. That is, after the Holy Spirit comes to explain Scripture to you and you get more Scripture. Peter said, No, you shall never wash Nipto my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash Nipto you, you have no part with me. Okay, Lord, Simon replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now verse 10, Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath, a washing... Now the word there is luo, and that means the entire body. And it refers to salvation. Nipto refers to 1 John 1 9, confession of sin. He needs only to nipto his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean. In other words, you've believed. But not every one of you disciples are like that. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So verse 12, when he had finished washing Nipto their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And this is one of the first times in the synoptic Gospels. I mean in the Gospels. John is not a synoptic Gospel. In the Gospels that teach a rebound. Also to teach that you only have to bathe one time, one faith alone in Christ alone. But you have need many times to nipto. And this is His teaching. And we have done that. But there are people out there, I'm sure, who are listening. Like the 80 or 90 who download from the podcast and the 17, 18,000 who listen over the website. A teaching about rebound, a teaching about luo, nipto, and that's two different words there. Can't tell it from the KJV or the NIV. But enough of that. This is one, by the way, that I have been asked. Where is that scripture that you talk about of nipto and luo? And that's so interesting. I, I, but I forgot to write that down. We'll write it down if you. But it'll come up again and again. It's such a marvelous scripture. So the Passover, when studied categorically, is a representation of Christ's victory on the cross, which can be celebrated as a New Testament ordinance, but never as an Old Testament ordinance, since that would place you under the Mosaic Law. So we've talked about the Old Testament aspect in the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and now we've talked about what we see in the New Testament in part. 
Alright, Christ was the recognized Passover lamb. And that's compared by comparing certain New Testament scriptures. For example, let's look at do some comparing. Like 1 Corinthians 5 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Leaven referring to sin, you know. But once we believe, because the Passover lamb has sacrificed himself for us, and we have believed, we're unleavened. You're a new lump. You're not like the old lump. Alright, John 1.29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The Passover Lamb. The real Passover Lamb. No longer is it a sign. It's the reality. He's here. Then 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, For as much as ye know that ye were redeemed with with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, no, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the Lamb of God who came into the world my only begotten Son, said our Father to John the Baptist. Alright, Christ was God's Lamb. Historically, the Lamb is mentioned in Exodus 12.3. And Christ was prophesied to be such in Isaiah 53.7. Notice, first of all, Exodus in 14.50 or so B.C., Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family and one for each household. And then in 600, roughly, Isaiah speaks, uh, more like 700, excuse me, Isaiah. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep, therefore, her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. All right, Old Testament feast days and festivals are no longer to be celebrated by Christians. Legalism is just too tempting. People love the liturgy and feeling good as they participate in the ablution. And many churches go overboard on this and consequently they get wrapped up in the ritual. And uh, the next thing you know, they uh, are, I don't want to say caught up in it, but they cease to learn and think it's actually happening. Uh, but once you believe it's a luo, and then all you have to do is a nipto. Luo, done. Nipto, 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 nipto. Naming your sin to God. Some people believe in some great big giant organizations, religious organizations, that you confess to a man. 
as opposed to uh, to God. And I think I've told you this story before, but I remember when I was counseling at a Billy Graham movie, actually, and I had this Catholic boy who came down, and you know, Billy Graham's invitations used to be, uh, well, in that movie, for in particular, it says, you know, come on down, you know, uh, something about coming down that seals it. If you want to be a Christian. And of course for the little Catholic kids. They all come back. Because of course they want to be a Christian. They are a Christian. But they don't know it as such. you know. So this one kid came down. And I talked to him. And was counseling him. And, and he said. Well I confess my sins to a priest. And I said. Well let me ask you this question. Do you think God heard you when you did it? said, yeah. I said, well, you also confessed to God then, didn't you, when you confessed to the priest. So you just keep on doing what your parents instruct you to do. And you just remember, God hears you. And that's why this is your, I didn't tell him this, but this is your nipto. <laughs> and uh, on and on. Now let's go on. Let's go into Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. And good old Galatians 2, 20 and 21, my two favorites. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Last two verses of the second chapter. Over and over again, Paul makes the point. Faith alone in Christ alone is enough. Alright, now let's go to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread since we've been over the Passover here. Alright, this was a week-long festival beginning on the Passover and lasting seven days. And again, it was to commemorate the deliverance by the Lord of His people from Egypt. Exodus twelve seventeen, And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day and your generations by an ordinance forever. No work was to be done during this week except for food preparation. Leviticus 23, 7 and 8. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Seven days and the seventh day is a holy convocation. You won't do any servile work then. Only unleavened bread was to be eaten during the week. Again, leaven means sin. Unleavened means no sin. That was all taken care of figuratively when you did what God told you to do. Just a lesson like you'd been to church and you'd heard the salvation doctrine. You'd seen it with the, the lamb and the slaughtering of the lamb and the reality that other babies died, but if you had that blood on that doorpost, your baby didn't die you still got to hold him and kiss him and love him and take care of him or she. Alright, no work was to be done then this week except for food preparation. Again, Leviticus 23, 7 and 8, it's repeated. So only unleavened bread was to be eaten during this week. 
Exodus 12.18, In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening time, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at evening time. So the festival was to celebrate the unlimited atonement for Israel leading to a new way of life. Israel was to be a new nation. See, that when they came out of Egypt, they became a nation. When Abraham believed and crossed the river, they became a people. Again, Genesis 12, 1, 2, 3. They became a people. And now in Exodus, when they leave and move out, they are a nation. They are Tesava, which can be translated army. Alright, the feast was also called the Feast of Weeks. Unleavened bread was a sign of no sign of no sin. The feast was a type of the reality to come, that is to say, the Lord Jesus as the Messiah solving the sin problem during his marvelous week of victory. We should not forget I came unto my own, and my own received him not, but as many as did receive him, to them they became the Sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. Now then, Scriptures, Exodus 34, 18, celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. Eat bread made without yeast. As I commanded you, do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For in that month, our March or April, you came out of Egypt. Alright, the feast was to remind all that God purchased the firstborn with His blood on the doorpost, thus they were to redeem their firstborn. Exodus 34, 19 and 20, The first offspring of every lamb belongs to Me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn son. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. So the feast was also to remind all that it was all grace. There was to be a Sabbath, which means Shabbat, which means no work. Why? Because God has done everything that's necessary. All you do is accept it. All right, Exodus 34, 21. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Why? Because God's done everything for you that needs to be done. And that's even during the plowing season when you would have normally be out plowing or the harvest when you would be, of course, harvesting. Alright, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, 7, and 8, a New Testament Scripture. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Alright, Galatians chapter 5, beginning now in verse 2, and we shall read through verse 10. Paul speaking again, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And remember there were those there who were declaring you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. 
But by faith we eagerly await the Spirit, the righteousness which for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race, but who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever ye may be. And you see one of many analogies used by Paul of athletics. And we have a doctrine of the athletic metaphor where you can read how he used boxing and he used track and field. And here he uses cutting in on you. I can always watch the Olympics and I can't remember the little gal's name that's supposed to win and somebody cut in on her and she tripped and fell and didn't get the medal. So you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? So Paul was quite a quite a guy. He used a lot of military metaphors. He used a lot of track and field. And he used a lot of, well, all manner of Olympic events. So you can also see the unleavened nature of the baking taught that the Exodus generation didn't have any time to let their bread rise. No, they had to leave or die. Then there was a festival of first fruits. It was to be held on the first Sunday following the Passover. It was therefore observed during the same week as the unleavened bread. The first fruits was to remind, remind Israel of God's grace in bringing them into a land of milk and honey. As part of the first celebration, the Jew after entering the land was to take a portion of the first harvest. It was also called the wave offering. Bundle it up in individual sheaves and wave it before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. In other words, wave that wave offering. Now Leviticus 23.10 and 11 speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priests a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on this day after the Sabbath. The priest would designate the area and they could use no fertilizer. All going to be grace now. And so designated had to be, the area had to be naturally watered by rain, not by irrigation. So the first fruits were therefore a grace matter dependent upon the Lord and the Lord only. The first fruits also taught of the resurrection. First of Christ and then the order of the resurrection with emphasis on the second advent. Christ was the first. The church at the rapture will be the second. And then the fourth will be the millennial saints as they go into eternity. And you may say, what about the millennium? Well, that will be a different kind of body, but it won't be a resurrection body. And we've studied that before, so I remind you to go to the Doctrine of the Resurrection, Pastor Mary's study books. Now let's go on, and I've provided a chart for you that you're familiar with here in this church, I know. And then for those of you who are on the looking at the Internet, it'll be on there for you too. Because we'll have a written lesson and we'll have our audio lesson. So Christ Himself was rediscovered, uh, excuse me, was discovered, resurrected on the first Sunday following the Passover. He was in fact resurrected at the end of the Jewish Saturday on, or 6 p.m. 
which was, of course, Sunday or the first day of the week for kingdom age Israel. He was resurrected as the first fruit on the festival day of the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 23. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And dropping down to verse 23. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Second Advent. Alright, the offering is mentioned in Exodus 34.26 as a command received from God on Mount Sinai. Notice Exodus 34.26, the first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. And then we've got the Feast of Pentecost. This festival was held 50 days after the Passover, somewhere around the 6th of June. Leviticus 23.15 and 16. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheep of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. This feast also had significance for the Gentile convert as they were brought into the celebration as strangers just as Israel was a stranger in Egypt. So if you had somebody you met walking across the desert and he wanted to join the group, bring him in. He's called an alien in the KJV. Uh, but he's to have certain rules and regulations. In other words, they were in fact to evangelize. So as they entered the land, if anybody wanted to become a Jew, they became a Jew and joined them. So there was a great deal of question as to when the feast should be held, however. The feast is also called the celebration of weeks and was a festival of thanksgiving for the second harvest. And the second harvest was also would seem to speak to the later massive inclusion of the Gentiles. Now read Deuteronomy 16, 9 and 10. Count off seven weeks. From the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain, then complete the feast of weeks of the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God had given you. Notice this is a gift and not part of a tithe. It was not only a time of thanksgiving and offering, but it was also a Sabbath day. Leviticus 23.21 on that same day you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is, to be, this is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. There was an offering for sin as we have seen, but in addition there was also an offering for fellowship. Notice Leviticus, Leviticus 23.19 Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lamb each a year old for a fellowship offering. Now this festival made provision for the less fortunate. Therefore the second harvest was performed in such a way as to leave the corners of the field for the poor. Leviticus 23.2 When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. And I always thought this pretty well proves welfare is okay for a national entity to do. Regardless of what some of our 
hyper-conservatives might say, because the Lord took care of the, the poor. And this was one of the ways. Because He does the same with the grapes. Don't, don't harvest all the grapes. Leave some for the poor who come along behind you. Notice from Pentecost until the next festival, which is the trumpets, there is a long, this is interesting, very meaningful, meaningful interval of more than four months, 130 days, which would teach or seem to teach the fifth cycle of discipline for Israel. That significant interval has meaning signifying the long extended church age. When Israel is in a state of suspended animation, awaiting the redemption of their national identity, so gloriously unfurled at the second advent of our Lord and Israel's Messiah. So nothing in this doctrine should be misconstrued to teach that church-age saints should celebrate any of these feasts. Such would be an abomination. Now let's return to Jesus and His teachings about sowing and reaping. And that would be a perfect time to stop. Uh, We're going to go and look at verse 34, then 35 through 38. And the best way to teach that in my view is to go to the feeding of the 5,000. Take another look at that. We've all seen it, I'm sure. Uh, before, but uh, it's quite interesting. As uh, people sat down and the food just kept multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. And as you'll see, we'll we'll see next week. I make a comment in there about the the little boy that brought the the fish in the loaf as he saw it multiplying. Feeding everybody. And I'm sure he's sitting there big eyed thinking, I can't wait to get home to tell mom and dad. <laughs> but let, we'll do that next week. Let's close her out with the prayer. And again, if anyone is not or is without Christ and without hope and without eternal life, I could go on and on. There's so many scriptures that tell you what to do, but very simply put, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do it now. Because I'm going to offer our benediction. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together to study Your Word. You are a God of grace. Thank You for that fact. So guide us now and direct us. And may God the Holy Spirit take that which I have presented, make it real. Make it real in order that we might grow in Your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.